This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Podcast with Statsman and AJ. That's Rotowire's hockey po- podcast show. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22, and my partner on all these pods, as usual, is AJ Scholz, and you can follow him at AJ Scholz24. That's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z-2-4. On today's pod, we find ourselves less than a week away from the trade deadline, one of the most exciting times of the year for hockey fans. And as always, our aim is to try and identify the most added and dropped players as well as the new roster and opportunities and storylines around each team. And we can focus on some of the names that could be on the move, and that's going to be really the thrust of our show. We're going to stay away from our normal analysis of all 31 teams in a sweep with an emphasis on anticipated player movement ahead of the Feb 26 trade deadline and, in fact, a look at some of the deals that have already gone down. But I suppose we have to talk a little bit about the game on Saturday. And uh, and uh, we also have some exciting news about a great guest that we have. He'll join us on a minute or two. But, AJ, things are heating up, and we have to talk for a few minutes about our favorite teams colliding on Saturday in Pittsburgh. The Leafs faced a litmus test against the two-time defending champs, but the Pens came out on top by a 5-3 count. It was a high-chance game and very entertaining. Oh, that game was a blast to watch. Uh, the outcome was fantastic, uh, at least for me. Uh, I, I especially wore all of my Pens gear today for, for you, Paul. Got my 17 championship <laughs> hat on, got my uh, Evgeny Malkin jersey. So all set for you. Um, but aside from, you know, dominating the Leafs, uh, I do want to make one. Listen to this. Listen to this. I do want to make one final ask for all of our listeners out to there to support my efforts in raising funds in the battle against ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, as it's also known. Uh, I'm actually heading out tomorrow to Hayward, Wisconsin, where I will ski the 50-kilometer American Berkebiner uh, cross-country ski race. And just want to ask people to join my support team, donate to this tremendous cause. Uh, you can find a fresh uh, link pinned to my Twitter page at AJ Scholes at AJ Scholes two four. It has a link right there that you can donate and join my support team. I would really appreciate that. Uh, Paul, I know you donated, so I really appreciate that as well. Uh, before we kick off the rest of the show, just remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineups, fantasy hockey, or just hockey in general, feel free to tweet at us, and we'll try and answer those questions for you. As I mentioned, you can follow me at AJ Scholes 24 and we can follow Paul, the Statsman, at Statsman22. All right, let's get into the nuts and bolts. 
Uh, AJ, we are thrilled and privileged to welcome back Daniel Negreanu, friend of the show and a legendary presence in professional poker circles, who's a great follow on Twitter at Real Kid Poker, one of the best handles I've seen on the, on the whole Twitter sphere, folks, and has been a very staunch supporter of, of the Golden Knights from the moment they were born. Welcome back to Puckcast, Daniel. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, we look forward to this, and uh, it's a, a really neat thing to talk about what's gone on in uh, Las Vegas this year. Daniel, you first appear on this podcast before the regular season, and I went back and listened to the tape, uh, so uh, I'm going to make sure what I say is correct here. When we looked at our uh, recording of the Pacific Division preview, I set the projected points total at 70, and you indicated that you would take the under at that time, though you still felt they would be a competitive team. Here we are on February 20th, and they sit atop the league standings. How the heck are they doing it? Yeah, well, I would have already lost that bet, right? Yeah. (laughs) I think what a lot of people missed with this team was you take 30 30 players who were essentially let go from the other team and um, told you're not good enough to play here, essentially, and they have a common bond. But I really think that ultimately the, the way they're doing it is they picked a group of players that fit into a system Gerard Gallant wanted to play, which is a very fast, up-tempo game. They are right now second in the entire league in um, takeaways, about 100 ahead of third and up there with Carolina. And part of the reason for that is they play a constant four-check. They're always scoring in transition. And uh, you know they're not scoring a lot of goals once, once they set up in the zone. Most of them come in transition. And they, that's why there's a lot of like... Um, high shooting percentages on, for some of the players in the team. You look at Eric Carlson, he's up around 30%. A lot of those chances are good quality because they're coming on odd man rushes. Now, Daniel, on, on the preview show, I, I picked the Knights to finish fourth. Obviously, I was a little short there. I said they would grab a wild card spot. Uh, for me at the time, it was the talented forwards such as March Assault, Perron, Neal. Uh, and then, of course, obviously, uh, the netminder, Marc-Andre Fleury, that gave me faith in this club from the beginning. Uh, watching them up close, though, who are some of those depth guys that have made this run uh, really possible? Well, really, I think the key to this team, or one of the big keys, one of my favorite aspects of the team, has been the fourth line when it's intact. And Belmar just went down with a wrist injury, which is a little bit of a problem. But him playing alongside Nosek, who just came back from an injury, And then you've got William Carrier, who is injured at the moment. But when that fourth line is together, uh, they add a lot of depth because we we can roll four lines and we can do so in a way where everyone gets enough time and a break and we play high energy. Um, Having said that, we, you know, we had a pickup like Ryan Carpenter, who's fit in really nicely into that role. You know, the last game we played, we had to call up Thomas Hika and Stefan Mateau. And, you know, we're missing a few guys right now, which is actually probably a good thing for this team going into the playoffs to just see what's there. And, and cause you know, you know how the playoffs are going to work. It's not like you don't get banged up every other night. So, you know, we had no James Neal last night, no Belmar, no carrier, no she Theodore. But um, it, I think again, long-term that's probably good to see what, what's really there on this team. And uh, Daniel, I'll remind you that I remember George McPhee and Gerard Gallant as tenacious players back in the day, but I also met McPhee way back in 1992 when I was working on the prototype for real-time scoring that the NHL has brought in and every team in every league in the world is using this to track individual player ice time hits, block shots, et cetera, et cetera. And McPhee was a GM with Vancouver back then and the first management type who saw the value of what we were working on and pitching to the NHL 
That kind of vision made me anticipate that he'd build his team with a plan. Can you speak to management's approach even from day one and uh, how you've seen it uh, really stick to a, a narrow laneway, if you will, and they haven't re- really strayed at all, and they've really got something going here, but it really started from day one, didn't it? Oh, no, absolutely, but I definitely think from day one of the season, the plan has drastically changed. Oh. I think originally, you know, the team was developed to – you know, for the long term, we've got three first round draft picks. We didn't necessarily pick and keep the best player from each team. You see, we got a guy like Mark Matho, but he got moved. You know, the, the, the design wasn't really to compete the way that we have this year. It was really built for the future. A guy like James Neal was essentially here to audition to see, you know, where he could get traded at the deadline. But, you know, I don't foresee any big trades happening at the deadline now that the team is doing so well. Having said that, um, George McPhee, isn't going to add, I don't think, at the deadline. I think he's the type of guy that's going to look at the future and want to maintain it. We do have a lot of draft picks stockpiled for the next few years and already a farm that's probably middle of the league um, according to rankings. So um, the, the plan has definitely changed. But one thing that hasn't is the type of players that right. Gallant and McPhee are targeting, you know, high-skilled, you know, high-energy um, with speed. That's the type of uh, hockey we play. Now, Daniel, I've seen you mention on on Twitter, you know, how your poker coaches have really helped you this season. Uh, What is your overall impression of Galan? I know you mentioned uh, playing with speed. You know, how has his mentality impacted the team? And do you think he's a lock for the the Jack Adams this year? I would I would think it would be criminal to not give him uh, the award for coach of the year, considering what he's been able to do with a ragtag group of misfits as far as the league side. Most people had them, you know, finishing 30th or 31st and to be in the the running right now for the president's trophy is pretty special i think more importantly too he was the right coach for this job specifically because you have a lot of bruised egos that were let go gerard gallant is well known as a player's coach you hear a guy like pacioretty come to town and rave about gallant and you know everyone who's played for gallant you know has that same sentiment that he doesn't throw his players under the bus when they make mistakes he doesn't you know have that john tortorella like yelling at him He's the right coach for the job, and he's done it. And, and the players buy into it. They really believe in it. And, uh, Daniel, as far as watching this game, this team on TV, it's become a must-do around the Bruno household here. What about the fan experience locally, though? I thought this was going to be largely transient audience that would favor visiting teams, but the city has really rallied around this club. What's that been like, taking it in from your perspective? Well, one of the things I think that's unique and special about going to games here in Vegas, and you'll see this if you come, is it really does create a playoff atmosphere. There are a lot of road jerseys, depending on what teams come. When Toronto or Edmonton, Chicago, Detroit, you know, teams with a good following come, you know, you see a lot of different color jerseys. You know, Phoenix doesn't really travel that well because <laughs> they're not doing so well. But overall, <laughs> I think the fact that we have uh, that playoff-like atmosphere, they do a great job from an entertainment perspective. You know, you heard Ovechkin when he came to town. He says, I don't know if I'm at beach club, nightclub, or hockey game. You know, <laughs> <laughs> get the crowd into it and there's a lot of like celebrities who come occasionally and rile the crowd up so um it's been it's been a unique situation and i think every time you hear players come to town there's or even coaches they say wow you know that's a that's a great building to play in 
Daniel, I wanted to ask you about the the blue line there. Um, there's, you know, you look at the minutes here for guys, and, and Nate Schmidt's kind of the top there at, at just over 22. Uh, you know, a lot of clubs have had success in the past using, you know, the Eric Carlson, the Chris Letang, the guys that eat up these huge, huge minutes. Uh, is this something, you know, that speaks to these players' abilities? Do you think they would add one of those big minute guys in the future, or do they want to stick with this kind of spread out uh, defensive model? Well, that's a great question because I think both at forward and on defense, one of the things that makes this team work is the fact that we don't have a superstar minute muncher, right? So a lot of people are talking about at the trade deadline, should we get Eric Carlson? I said, well, at what cost? He's going to demand 28, 29 minutes. That's going to cut into everyone else's minutes. And this is a team that works as, as a committee. You know, Schmidt, as you mentioned, is playing 22 minutes and our, you know, probably our number six defenseman's playing, you know, 18. So everyone's getting a chance to play. And um, you know, even when we do have a couple injuries, we have enough guys in the farm we can call up. You know, Jason Garrison, maybe not a top-end defenseman, but he can fill in when needed if there's some injuries. So I don't foresee them changing the model and bringing in – because also you think about, too, chemistry. We talk about chemistry a lot, and it's real with this team. Now you bring in a superstar who demands minutes, who maybe has an ego, who knows. Does that you know affect the chemistry? I would be really surprised to see any sort of blockbuster deal for this team going into the deadline. And Daniel, final question, but this is more of an overview about maybe the next expansion in Seattle, it looks like. With the success of this first-year club in Vegas, will it cause the NHL, do you think, to rethink the protected list limits that were imposed on Vegas when uh, when the Seattle does jump on board? I, I ask this question because I'm friendly with a couple of NHL executives, and they are taking a look at this right now, I can tell you. Well, here's the thing. I mean, Seattle's going to be playing, paying $650 million. I think they're going to want at least rules that represent what Vegas had or better considering the price tag. And I think that it's just, it's, it's, it's just not, they're not the right way to look at this team to say that they were like given, uh, you know, the best team in the league where every team got an opportunity to protect their core, their first and second year players. Uh, maybe at goal, we were lucky obviously because Pittsburgh was loaded by having, you know, two top end goalies and we were able to pick up a guy like flurry and that's rare. But overall, I think what the league wants is they don't want a team to, you know, have 15 wins on the season. So um, I wouldn't imagine they'll do too much tinkering. I think um, it takes away a lot of the credibility of what like George McPhee really put together. And he did a great job in not only building a team, but we got Riley Smith as a throw in. You know, we got Hawala and oh, you want this guy named Tuck? Take him too. you know, he did a really great job of using every resource he could to build his team. And you know what? I echo those sentiments, too. I, as I said, I got to know George McPhee a long time ago and knew that he was going to do a great job. I didn't dream that they would lead the Western Conference, Daniel, but you got to be enjoying this ride. And we are certainly grateful for you jumping on the show with us today. I know that you fit us in around a hectic time for you as you prepare for knee surgery. We certainly want to wish you a smooth procedure and speedy recovery, but also want to thank you for your continued interest in our show and for joining us today. Always a pleasure, guys. I'm going to get knee surgery in time for the playoffs so I don't miss a game. Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> we'd, love to get, we'd love to get you on during the postseason as well. But in the meantime, you stay well. All right, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. All right, AJ, how great is this guy, huh? Oh, he's fantastic to have on. Just really great insight on, on the new club. It's, it's a pleasure having him. Uh, and great insight and hockey mind in general. I mean, I know he's known for 
for poker, but it's, uh, you know, we have him on here and he, he obviously knows what he's talking about and a, a great addition to the show. I'll just throw out a tip. If he's still listening, you know, having been through a pair of ACL surgeries myself, you got to listen to everything your physical therapist tells you to do. So hopefully Daniel catches that when he listens to the rest of the show. Exactly. All right. As we said earlier, we're going to depart from our look at the 31 teams in, in depth in terms of some roster movement. Instead, let's focus on trades that have already started to trickle in ahead of the deadline, including a few even today, uh, AJ. And then we'll get on to a, a list of players that we think will be on the move in the next few days. Let's start off with... Uh, Bit of a big one. Some big names moved around in the trade between Ottawa and L.A. as Dion Phaneuf and Nate Thompson moved from Ottawa to Los Angeles in exchange for Marion Gabrick and Nick Dowd. This, to, the, to me, was mainly a chance for Ottawa to get out from under Dion Phaneuf's onerous contract, but they both scored since they've donned the new sweaters, so early dividends paid by both of these players, and uh, the other guys are role players that won't really factor in, but the money situation is an interesting one here too. Look, I, I've heard a lot of that. And, and while I get what people are saying, like the fact that Phaneuf carried this huge contract is, does say a lot, but they also took back Marion Gabrick, who's like 4.8 million himself is under contract for another three years at 36 years of age. Uh, so they, re- I don't know that they really got out from under uh, a big contract here. I mean, I guess if you're looking to move money, from forward, from defense to forward, I think at this point, Eric Carlson probably makes as much as the rest of their blue line combined. Uh, just looking at the numbers real quick, it's pretty close, actually. Uh, and so I just I don't know that they really shed that much. And so for me, this deal was kind of confusing, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I'm, you know, hopefully both guys do better in, in where they're going, but you know, I, I don't really get it to be completely honest. Well, I did some digging here and there is one thing, AJ, that might make you feel better for the, uh, Ottawa side of the angle because Marion Gab- Gabrick contract, he can, if he retires tomorrow, Ottawa's not on the hook for the balance of that deal because he signed it before he was 30, 35 years old, I think is the rule. If you sign a long-term deal and you don't finish the term, those last couple of years can drop off. So that could wind up being a, a savings for Ottawa. If it does come to pass, maybe there's a nudge, nudge, wink, wink thing with Gabrick that, that, that was part of this deal to, to make sure he wasn't of a mindset to play out the term. So we'll have to see how that turns out. But in the meantime, Dion Phaneuf really properly slotted for me as a depth defenseman. He's not really capable of top four minutes in a lot of games with the pace of play these days. He seems to have lost a step and he might be well insulated in L.A. So uh, this could be an interesting deal. Uh, looking back on it, uh, particularly if L.A. goes on a bit of a playoff run with enough in there. The next couple of deals were minor ones, but we're warming up for a couple of uh, larger ones, I guess, later in the day or later in the week. Uh, Nikita Soshnikov moves from Toronto to St. Louis for a fourth-round pick in this June's draft. Look, I know a little bit about this kid. Uh, he was uh, having a good good year in the AHL, uh, banged up a little bit, but what a feisty guy and what a great shot. The Leafs just have too many guys at the wing position ahead of him that profile the same way. So there was no room to fit him in. And we know that St. Louis has been banged up on the wings. This is good insurance for them. And they might find a home for this guy. And uh, this deal could come back and bite the Leafs if he uh, turns it on like I think he can. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to bite them only from from what you just said, Paul. The, the depth there is just too great. Um, you know, where he fits in is hard to find a spot for him. And so to be able to take uh, a guy that's essentially in a log jam of, of solid forward options and at least get a fourth round pick out of it, 
you know, they could use, obviously, I think you'd agree they could use some help uh, on the blue line and in general, when you look at their forward uh, complement compared to their defensive complement, there's a little bit of an imbalance there. So uh, maybe looking down the road at some picking some defensive prospects with more picks, I, I think would do well for them. So I think it's a great deal for both sides. Uh, Sashnikov should hopefully get some ice time in St. Louis. So I think he wins. Uh, winners all around on this one. And then a couple of minor deals. We'll go through them quickly. Christy Domenico came out of the Toronto chain, never played with the Leafs, but I, I like the, the, his prospect for his skill set. He moves from Ottawa to Chicago, and in exchange, Chicago sends Vili Polka to the Senators possibly a long uh, long-term ad that might make sense for ottawa this guy's got some skills and they're going to get a little younger on the blue line so that's the hope but interesting that chicago would be in the mix here i wonder what it says about what they're trying to do and the other deal that involved the hawks they got uh, michael kempney uh, go, going from chicago to washington for a third round pick in june so uh, interesting that chicago's in a couple of moves here aj i wonder if, if uh, they're waving the flag here indicating they might be busy at the trade deadline no, I don't think it's uh, a waving the flag. It, it, you know, you look at both these guys, they're defensive uh, players that they traded away. Uh, you know, they've got Seabrook, Keith, Murphy. All those guys are locked up for at least the next four seasons, a couple of them even further than that. I know Jan Ruta is a player they like. Jordan Osterley's young. Uh, so they've got a lot of young defensemen. And so it's a it's a high point on their team that they could trade away to get, uh, you know, some picks. Uh, another young winger who's got some potential. And so I think both good deals, neither of which would indicate that they're giving up on the year. And uh, finally, uh, a couple of deals that went down earlier today. We're filming this uh, program on Tuesday afternoon, a little bit later to accommodate uh, Daniel DeGrano, and we thank him again. But uh, two deals that went down recently. Uh, Peter Morazic moves from Detroit to Philadelphia for a fourth-round pick in 2018 and a third in 2019. Both these are conditional picks, AJ, based on his performance this, the rest of this year and how far the team advances in the playoffs. But look, it's another goalie Band-Aid being applied in Philadelphia. Now they're going to have three goalies with quite expensive tabs on them. If they renew Mrazek, one of the other two guys has to be let go. And, and I wonder how that's going to play out because they can't afford uh, all the goalies that they're accumulating in Philadelphia. Well, I mean, actually, things don't look too bad. I mean, uh, Detroit kept half of Mrazek's salary for this season. Uh, he'll be a restricted free agent at the end of the year. So if you compile all their current numbers, they're only paying $8 million, and that includes uh, Alex Lyon, who's going to serve as as the backup there uh, behind Mrazek, uh call-up uh, from the minors. So, uh, cap wise, it's not too bad. I do think it's very interesting uh, what they do with Morazic long term, because as I said, restricted free agent at the end of the year, he's certainly going to want the four million he's getting paid this year. Uh, but they also have Elliot and Newverth both under contract next season. So uh, I'm not really sure how this all squares out. I still think that the best goaltender on this team is not even playing for them in Anthony Stolarts. Uh, he's been injured down in the minors. Uh, he's a restricted free agent next year as well. So I don't know, maybe he gets traded. I think any club would be happy to, to have him. Uh, but yeah, I agree, Paul. So a very confusing situation heading into next season. But I think this year, uh, Elliot Newberth will ride the pine, obviously, until they're healthy. And Mrazic will fill in until then. And, you know, playoff time, I don't think really matters. They'll uh, figure that out all out once it happens. You know what? Ever since the unfortunate fate uh, befell Pelly Lindbergh, you could make a three-hour documentary, documentary about the goalie 
a carousel in Philadelphia, and it's astonishing the number of guys they've gone through, and it just continues this way. I'm going to make a prediction here. In the next five years, maybe after uh, in five years, Carey Price will wind up in, in Philadelphia playing as a 30, <laughs> 37-year-old guy and playing out that massive back end of his contract there. So something to look out for, maybe when we're doing the sixth anniversary of this show, AJ. <laughs> and finally, Nick Holden, another deal that went down earlier today. We knew the Rangers were going to make some deals. This is the first of them, uh, sending the, the experienced defenseman to Boston for Rob O'Gara and a 2018 third-round pick. AJ, we knew Boston was going to beef up on the blue line. A lot of teams will do the same. Nick Holden's an interesting pickup. I like this on, on both sides of the, the equation here. Uh, Nick Holden's obviously a rental uh, for Boston this year. He'll be a free agent after the season, uh, but they get him for a minimal cap hit. I think he's a capable uh, kind of extra depth guy on there. They've had some some injuries. Kevin Miller's been out of the lineup for a while. And going the other way, Rob O'Gara, a 24-year-old that I think will fit in perfectly, what they were talking about, trying to bring in some young guys. Plus, they get the draft pick as well. Uh, so a good deal, in my opinion, for both sides. Great. And, uh, well, let's now f- go into what's uh, possible in the next few days. We're going to go in alphabetical order with some of the teams and names of players that are in the news as possible trade bait. A lot of teams that are on the outside looking in, but even a couple of teams that are in the mix looking to move some players around. So we'll start with Anaheim, and it looks like Antoine Vermette is a guy whose name has been bandied about. Veteran pivot. Uh, teams look for depth down the middle. He might be an interesting ad, but they might also be looking for goalie depth now that John Gibson got hurt on Sunday. I don't think it's a major injury, but we can look at uh, maybe one guy moving out and maybe looking to them, for them to beef up their goaltending situation. Uh, I'm actually going to disagree. I don't think they'll uh, worry too much about the goaltending. They do have Ryan Miller. I I know he's had some struggles here and there ever since he left Buffalo, Um, but this is a a hearty, tested goaltender, 37 years old. I get is a little bit of a concern, Uh, but so I don't, I don't see them going that route. I think if they do trade away a guy like Vermette, uh, they're going to be looking, honestly, I'm not sure they would do that because the, the, the blue line is where I think they're most solid. Uh, I don't think they need a goaltender. So, you know, are they going to trade Vermette for a center or something? I, I'm not really sure that uh, I don't anticipate him moving, at least, because I think forward is probably where they would need to bolster the most. And then we look at Arizona. This team is in seller mode, and it's no shortage of defensemen that are being talked about. But there's also a name up front that is uh, interesting to me because I thought Max Domi was going to be a centerpiece of this team. I think they're looking to explore opportunities to move him as a young talent who might flourish elsewhere, and that might get them on a handsome return. But they've got a trio of defensemen, and you might call it the gold, silver, and bronze standard in terms of availabilities <laughs> here when you consider Oliver ekman Larson, Luke Shen, and Kevin Connaughton, all names that have been involved and trade rumors around the Coyotes and maybe all of them looking for uh, greener pastures and some playoff time. I think for me, the headliner here uh, is actually Luke Shen. Now I get Oliver Ekman Larson has kind of the bigger pedigree, but he also uh, holds the bigger salary, which is going to make it harder for a team to take him. Luke Shen, I think, is a solid rental option at just 1.2, unrestricted free agent after the season. Uh, And so I think he's probably their best uh, chip here. Yes, he hasn't done great. He's been sitting on the bench of late. uh, But I think for the rental price to get a solidly defensive player like him, who's, you know, he's only 27, so he's not outside of his prime, uh, has just been stuck on some disappointing teams. Arizona, 
the Flyers before that, uh, the early 2010 to 2012 Maple Leafs weren't exactly uh, a phenomenal club at the time. Uh, obviously, that's turned around. But uh, I think if he can get on a good team, I think he's the piece uh, to go after for a lot of clubs, especially given that price tag. And uh, let's switch our attention to one of the contending teams again. Boston Bruins, they are looking to add more pieces. We know they've added a defenseman now, but up front they are looking also to see what they might do with Frank Vitrano. This is a team that has extra forward depth, and he is the guy that whose name has been floated out there as a possible guy going and leaving Boston to see what other assets he might bring in. But I'm curious to know, AJ, you don't think Boston's finished with the move that they made today? No, I don't think so at all. I, I agree that there's more to come. I think the intriguing part about Vetrano is you can sell him as kind of a, uh, a rebuilding project, as it were. He came in uh, with a lot of talent and seemed to be had a good start to the year last year, 18 points in 44 games. It just hasn't panned out this season. Now, yes, injuries have sidelined him for a good chunk of the season. Um, but if you you know sell him right, to the right club talk about yeah he's got a bunch of intangibles but we need something else whatever um i think you could maybe maybe the word is dupe but i think you could get another team to buy in on him and, and maybe stockpile some draft picks and we talk about another team that is in uh, rebuild mode the buffalo sabers they have tried to rebuild and it's gone up in flames it seems and now some of the names that they're looking at moving out of were centerpieces in that rebuild i'm talking of course about evander kane and robin leonard in goal uh, for the Sabres. They're looking to maybe move both those pieces. And then some lesser pieces in Benoit Pouliot and Josh Georges, a depth defenseman who is just carrying too much of an expensive salary, but it is an expiring contract. So four names, no no fewer than that, maybe even more in the Buffalo circumstance, a complete fire sale in the Queen City. Yeah, I, I can't foresee a situation in which they're not involved in a handful of moves uh, selling off guys. Uh, clearly the first version of this rebuild didn't work. Uh, and obviously they just haven't given Jack Eichel the right players around him uh, to, to bolster this team. And they need to shed some contract for next season, just because you look at, yes, this year they're getting Eichel for 925,000 next year. They got to pay him $10 million. Uh, so that's a pretty big hit. Uh, so they need to find some, some space. I think Kane obviously is the big piece here. Uh, learner, the injury, I think might cloud the issue there, depending on how long he's sidelined. Um, but I expect at least, you know, two, maybe three moves from this club as they send guys elsewhere. And the situation in Calgary produced an interesting name last week in light of uh, the injured situ injury status of Mike Smith and goal. We understand it's day to day, according to the recent updates on RotorWire's website. And maybe you have more information there, AJ. But the name of John Gillies, a top goalie prospect, has been bandied about. They have some goalie depth in Calgary. Riddich certainly has acquitted himself very well since he was called up. So maybe that gives them the latitude to dangle. A pretty good prospect here in John Gillies. Uh, there's a number of teams out here that might need some goalie help, and this is one of the top prospects not playing in the NHL. I absolutely agree that he's probably uh, the most likely to go. You know, obviously they're not going to part ways with with a Matthew Tichuk. Uh, Curtis Lazar is certainly an option. Hasn't gotten a lot of play time with them. Uh, he's 23, costs less than a million dollars. Maybe somebody thinks uh, he fits better into their system than he does in Calgary. Um, but there are a lot of big contracts on this team. A lot of guys sign long term uh, that they're not going to get rid of anytime soon. Uh, and so to your point, John Giles, probably their blue chip 
uh, trade piece on the market. In Carolina, this is a team that's battling for the playoff spots, so I suspect that one move could happen if it goes one way or maybe two moves if it goes south here. But the names are veteran guys. Derek Ryan, another center that could be helpful elsewhere. He's played top six minutes at times in Carolina. And Jeff Skinner, who is a highlight reel unto himself, but boy, is he suspect defensively. So he'd need to be insulated in a situation that he would be moved to. But I could see them hanging on to him because he's such an important part of their offense. So intriguing names being bandied about in Carolina. What say you about these and any other names that you might come up with? Well, I think the issue with Skinner, to your point, is his lack of two-way ability. Uh, the last thing you want heading into the playoffs is a guy who leaks goals uh, like like a sieve, for lack of a better term to find. <laughs> um, and so I think Derek Ryan is a great call by you. Uh, hasn't scored a goal, actually hasn't scored a point in his last 11 games. Uh, so that's probably going to depress his value here. Obviously, with them being in playoff contention, I think Cam Ward uh, situation becomes interesting. He is the free agent at the end of the year. I doubt he's going to resign with them because Scott Darling has that big contract and is the main piece uh, with how bad Darling's been. I doubt anybody's going to take him. So I, I still would not be shocked to see them uh, move Cam Ward, even though they are in a, a playoff contention right now. And uh, over in Colorado, a couple of names on this roster. This team started off very well, but the injury situation, the name McKinnon, he's back in the lineup now, that really cooled their jets a little bit. And uh, so they're, they're looking to add to their uh, young nucleus that they've been accumulating here. Tyson Berry, a big ticket that uh, has been dangled here, a, a guy who could fit in as a top four defenseman in a lot of different circumstances for a contender. And Blake Como, a serviceable forward, a depth forward, might be two of the guys that make sense uh, being on the move for the Avalanche. Yeah, I think injuries, again, are going to complicate this situation. You've got uh, Anton Lindholm and Eric Johnson are both now out uh, for an indeterminate amount of time. And so they're going to need a guy like Barry, if only just to fill out the lineup at this point. Uh, they have some young guys in, in David Warsawski and Andre Minerov that they probably want to work on uh, and develop some more. So maybe getting Barry kind of clears the way, getting rid of Barry clears the way for that. Um, but I think the biggest deal for this club is in in the rearview mirror uh, with that Duchesne deal. I wouldn't rule out a, another club for Nail Yakupov. He's shown flashes of having a, a, a game at times. He's been out the last two sitting on the bench. And so maybe that's a, a player whose first round status, uh, first round pick status rather, can land him somewhere else. RFA at the end of the year doesn't carry a big hit. Maybe you think he fits your system better than, you know, the eight other places he hasn't fit. And with the top-heavy nature of the Metro Division, that might be a reason why Columbus is floating a couple of names, or there's been a couple of Columbus Blue Jackets in trade talks. Boone Jenner is a really big, good playmaking center, a good guy to be maybe a third-line center or wing position if, if he's willing to move over. And then Jack Johnson, a veteran defender who is uh, uh, formerly a pretty high draft pick, AJ, as I recall, but really hasn't met those expectations. But really, he's learned how to play the game in his def defensive end. Would not be a liability on most uh, top four situations around the league. Absolutely. And I think the fact that they get Ryan Murray back from injury uh, adds to, to the possibility of trading Jack Johnson. Now, the flip side of that is maybe Ryan Murray's actually the more sought after player. He's younger. Uh, he, he'll be an RFA after the season. So he's not exactly a rental. We'll call him, you know, a, a rental minus, <laughs> as it were. Um, and so maybe because of his cap hit, 
his restricted free agent, his age, maybe they can actually get a better um, return on investment for a guy like Ryan Murray, uh, although he's just back from injury, than Jack Johnson. So I, I do think blue line is where they trade away to try and bolster uh, the rest of this club. They're just one point out of a wild card spot. So they're definitely buyers more than sellers, in my opinion. And the next team that makes uh, is looking to make headlines is the Detroit Red Wings. And uh, before we get into some players that might be on the move, while the show has been recording here, I've been getting an, uh, into an exchange with senior VP Jimmy Davilano, who's confirmed that he w- wants to come on next week's show to talk about the trade deadline and the deals that uh, he sees as the main ones that will have taken place by then. So a real coup for us. Looking forward to getting another strong support of our show back uh, online with the, our uh, faithful listeners so something to look forward to next week aj very excited about that in terms of the red wings though some of the names on the ice that uh, are possibly on the move two of them are not surprises one might be though uh, certainly we've heard a lot about mike green uh the expiring contrast contract on a big ticket defenseman not a factor here because most of that money is in the rear view but this guy can be an, uh, a key point on the power play he'll be a minute eater and a real good offensive minded defenseman if people are looking for that and then you can pair him with maybe a Luke Lindenning up front he's t- currently toiling as a bottom six center and uh, pretty proficient in the face-off circle and you can bet there's gonna be some interest in him and the low ticket that's on him is about 1.8 million per year over the next couple of seasons but the name that's interesting here is Gustav Nyquist. Now, AJ, I looked into this a little bit. He's 28 years old. He's got some money left and some term on his contract. But really, I think the mission here is to get rid of a a big ticket that really doesn't fit into what they're trying to do in terms of rebuilding here. Gustav Nyquist is a talent. No question about that. But I just think that by the time this team is good again, he's going to be a little long in the tooth. And that might be part of the thinking here. That's a that's a really great uh, analysis there, Paul. I, I wouldn't have personally thought of Nyquist actually as being uh, a potential piece to trade away. Uh, the interesting part is for for you know other than Mike Green, uh, you don't have a lot of guys that fit the term you know terms of a rental uh, other than Peter Mrazek, who they just got rid of. So I do think that was the biggest uh, move that you'll see out of them. Uh, Green, obviously, you know. Getting rid of him in order to get something rather than nothing at the end of the season would be good. But a six million dollar price tag, uh, you're talking about another contract. They'd have to, re- you know, retain some salary for this year, which isn't a huge problem. Um, but I just think that overall, uh, Mrazek was a big chip and that's already fallen. I don't expect a lot else uh, to come out of uh, Detroit. Uh, in Edmonton, boy, we certainly expected a different outcome from this team, didn't we? Look at the standings. They're nowhere near what we thought they might be. And uh, as a result, some big names uh, are being talked about. Uh, big fellow in terms of body size, Patrick Maroon, at the top of the list maybe. And surprising to me because he's had a pretty good run in a couple of locales, including earlier on in Edmonton, playing on the top lines. And I think he could be a really neat addition to a number of teams. I'm surprised that Edmonton really hasn't found a way to get more out of him than he showed earlier on. But you also have to look at some veterans there. Mark Latesto and Mike Camilleri, two guys that are at the tail end of things, I would say. And yet their experience could be a real asset uh, come playoff time. So interesting possibilities in Edmonton from my perspective. Absolutely. And Latesto fills out that, that need that a lot of teams including the Penguins have talked about for much of the season, uh, that center position, uh, veteran, you know, a depth guy. Uh, and so I think for sure he's gone. Uh, Camilleri, I think is a hard sell at 35. Yeah. He's only carrying 
uh, a one million deal, but he's already been shipped once uh, this year, and it, it just hasn't really worked in in multiple places. Obviously, Maroon, same situation. UFA at the end of the year, um, but obviously Latestu, I, th- I think, is going to be uh, the most sought after here, and will give them the biggest return on investment potentially with Pittsburgh. And now uh, Minnesota is another team that's going to make the playoffs. I'm pretty sure, AJ. But a guy that you're quite familiar with, Matt Cullen, is a name who is is out there. Maybe the the wild team is looking to shake things up on the bottom six, uh, seeing what they can get for the veteran pivot uh, as a bit of a long-term piece, maybe coming back a younger piece, but uh, I'm surprised that his name is out there at this time of year. Well, I think the only reason his name is out there is because the Penguins really want him back. Uh, I, I don't foresee a situation in which Matt Collin moves to another team. Uh, you know, he picked Minnesota to be closer to home where his family was. Uh, obviously I think, might be persuaded to go play uh, for for Pittsburgh uh, based on the history there. But other than that, you're not going to sell the league's oldest player on going anywhere else. So if Matt Collin gets moved, the only place it's going to be is going to be back to Pittsburgh. How about in Montreal? You think the moving vans are are circling some of the neighborhoods (laughs) where these these players live? They've got no fewer than four uh, big-name players that might be dealt uh, at the deadline. The names that you're hearing are Alex Galchenyuk, Max Pacioretty, Thomas Placanic, and Andrew Shaw. Uh, A wide range of uh, possibilities here. Uh, Is there any one name that jumps out for for you? For me, it's uh, Galchenyuk. I think this guy is uh, just overwhelmed by the pressure of playing in Montreal. Really not going to l- reach his potential here. The other guys have kind of figured it out elsewhere, and they're managing when they're healthy to perform very well. Uh, it's certainly not been a great year for Pacioretty, but the captain is under a lot of scrutiny because of the failure of the club on the ice here. Galchenyuk, for me, is the one to watch, though. I think it's Placanic is, is the one who's going to go. Uh, there's no reason for this club to, to hang on to him at, at $6 million. Uh, unrestricted free agent after the year, a center position, as I said, very sought after right now. Now, to your point, Galchenyuk is a little more versatile. He can play wing and center. He's a younger player, um, but you know he's he's got uh, more years on the contract. Pacioretty's got a, more years on the contract. Andrew Shaw is under contract through 21-22 at just under $4 million a year, and he hasn't played that much this year. So uh, finding somebody willing to take him, I think, is a little harder. For me, Pacioretty fits the definition of a veteran guy that you can bring in for a rental cost. Uh, obviously, Montreal have to retain some of that salary. There's no no real contender in the league right now that could pick up $6 million. But other, other than that, as long as they keep a little, uh, I would expect him to be on the move for sure. All right, let's go to another team that's already started to get busy, and that's the New York Rangers. Some big names obviously being talked about here. They they were the ones that really waved the give-up flag earlier on and uh, and did it quite publicly. And so we can expect names like Rick Nash, Michael Grabner, and R- Ryan McDonough to be out there. McDonough uh, comes with a big ticket going forward. Nash, an expiring deal, and Grabner having a, put together a couple of the, the most incredible Cy Young seasons in the history of hockey with the high goals and a very few assists. But consistent goal scoring and a game-breaking ability there so three big name possibilities on the move for the rangers i'd be curious to see what kind of a haul they get back absolutely i think the one guy you might see moving if he hadn't been injured for so long is actually kevin shattenkirk uh that fit has not panned out at all uh, he does have some scoring ability. Uh, there was some harsh words out of out of Washington uh, about last year's rental of him, so maybe that would scare a few guys off. Uh, and again, injuries playing a factor. I think Andre Pavelsek, 
might have, uh, you know, maybe a, a club like the the Flyers would have looked at Pavelsack in terms of kind of bolstering, uh, you know, some injury, uh, you know, news. So uh, I think there's a lot going on here. But I think if you're a veteran on this club who's not under contract for much longer, you definitely should uh, be having your bags packed and ready to go already uh, to make the transition easier. And there's even a longer list of names. When you look at the Ottawa Senators, AJ, this is a team that might have the most names uh, in terms of the the trade rumors that are out there. They already got rid of FNUF, but boy, they're in need of a big time makeover. I'm going to be curious to see what's left if they pull everything off. But names like Mike Hoffman, Derek Broussard, Johnny Oduya, John Gabriel Peugeot, Bobby Ryan, and Zach Smith are out there. In fact, an interesting thing about Bobby Ryan is he is his stock has gone down so much that now anybody that's asking for Eric Carlson, it seems the rumor is that they have to agree to find a way to fit Ryan into this, the deal if they want him. So it's kind of an extra thing with Eric Carlson there and possible talks around him. I don't see that deal happening until the summer, I don't think, AJ. But uh, I do see a possibility here for a guy like Derek Brassard or Mike Hoffman for teams that are looking to bolster themselves offensively. These are really good pieces. And then if you're looking for a depth guy, a Peugeot might make a lot of sense. Well, I, I hate to keep harping on, on cap hits here. Um, but, you know, you look at Carlson under contract for another year at $6.5 million. You've got Bobby Ryan under contract for another four years at $7.25 million. Uh, these are not contracts that you can pick up midseason. It makes it very hard to figure out. Uh, you know, Ottawa's already looking at a situation where they're going to be paying uh, a portion of Dion Phaneuf's salary for the next three years, $1.75 million on that. And that would be the same case for both these guys. So I think they're cost prohibitive to move. Uh, John Gabriel Pajot, I think, is too good of a talent for them to really consider trading trading him. Uh, I'd be shocked if they decided to move him. So for me, I think Zach Smith is probably the most likely to go. Uh, unfortunately for, for Ottawa, that he has a modified no-trade clause, so it could make it more difficult uh, to figure him where he slots in. But I, of that entire list of guys, I think, uh, you know, uh, Zach Smith, the most likely to land somewhere else. And uh, your, your favorite team and mine are coming up in the discussion here. Let's talk about what might go on in Pittsburgh. This team, I think, needs a little bit of help on the blue line, and yet Ian Cole's name is being bandied about there, AJ. Help me figure that one out. And uh, where might you like to see the team add if uh, you had the controls as a GM? Well, I'm actually going to disagree. I don't think we need any help on the blue line at all. You've got the the top, uh, you know, defensive offensive pairing in, in Dumoulin and Latang. Olimata has really uh, owned his game the last two years. Uh, Justin Schultz is is injured, but they've got Ian Cole still in there. Matt Hunwick has been serviceable. They already brought in Jamie Olesiak, and then I love Chad Ruedel, who hasn't been playing much. He's uh, kind of struggled to crack the lineup, but I think he's a great player for them. So I think Cole, the only reason his name's really out there is because he makes the most sense as someone for them to move. Uh, the target all along throughout much of the season has been the center position. Uh, I'm not convinced that they need to do that. Uh, depending on the length of how long Tom Kunako and Patrick Hornquist are going to be out, maybe you look for an additional winger. Uh, Ryan Reeves, I, I love his mentality, but I'm just not sure we need that uh, kind of, you know, his style of play. We've been such a fast team. And so I, I really, 
maybe I say this every year, but I really don't feel like there's a ton of pieces that we need. But if anywhere, I do agree that center position, I think Ian Cole could be the piece going the other way. Boy, he's wearing the sweater. He's wearing the cap. It's we, we, we. He's getting ready for the playoffs, <laughs> folks. I think AJ could be insufferable. I'm going to play it a little more even keel. Try to anyway with the Maple Leafs uh, up next. We'll talk about the fact that the, there was a stir at practice this morning, AJ, locally when Tyler Bozak didn't take the pregame practice, uh, pre, uh, the morning skate uh, which, which is optional in Toronto as it is in most cities but a uh, real surprise that uh, caused quite a buzz here and there's no shortage of rumors around him and uh, incidentally linked with Pittsburgh Can you, I, I don't think I could be able to stand a reunion with Bozak and Kessel in <laughs> Pittsburgh and hearing from you but that's one of the destinations that has been talked about with Bozak an expiring contract there certainly the same thing goes with the JVR second in the league in goal scoring Van Riemsdyk for Toronto second in the team rather in goal scoring and yet his name is out there he too is uh, dealing with an expiring contract both these guys will need to be re-signed and Van Riesdijk particularly will command a big big contract I do, I do think so I don't know if we'll get both these guys back in Toronto and then uh, Josh Levo is a young guy who's kind of paid his dues and looking for uh, a sliver of an opportunity he re-signed a, a contract with the hope of playing here again next year at $925,000. So there's cost certainty there for a big body type who's got a terrific shot, just can't crack Toronto's roster. And, of course, finally, Leo Komarov at a 2.9 expiring contract there, showing his value to the Leafs. I don't think he's going anywhere, but you have to talk about pending UFAs sometimes too. And uh, he's been so valuable as a depth forward and a penalty-killing forward in Toronto. I really don't think they can afford to let him go right now. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and to what I said before, sometimes players' names show up because of need in other positions. Uh, there's no defenseman on this list, and that's for a reason. I think that defense is the one kind of weaker point uh, of this club. Now, that's not to say I think they have a bad defense, but Freddie Anderson has been solid. They're not bringing in another goaltender. Uh, and from a forward position, they're they're stacked with talent. And so that makes defense inherently the weakest spot on this team. Uh, and so those three guys as UFAs are going to get the most attention. Uh, I, I think if I had to pick one that I would see move again, I think it's going to be Tyler Bozak, but he does have that modified trade clause. Maybe he doesn't want to leave. Uh, and you know, maybe the list he submits is all teams that couldn't afford his $4.2 million deal. Uh, so we'll see what happens there, but I, I don't expect to see a lot of movement out of Toronto, uh, just because their weak point really isn't that weak compared to other teams in the league. And uh, we talked, we teased about the Pacific Division preview at the beginning of the season. We thought Vancouver would be a terrible team. And uh, they've been better than expected, but nonetheless, uh, the bottom has fallen out a little bit of late, and they really have to consider their options uh, with possibilities. Eric Goodbranson was in a lot of trade rumors, but uh, the Canucks have lo likely locked him up uh, as we speak to a long-term contract. AJ, big dollars there. So you can take him out of the trade speculation unless there's a surprising move that will follow a link to the certainty of his contract but I don't for forecast that instead that kind of focuses the attention on guys like Ben Hutton and Chris Tanev again there's cost certainty with Tanev he's inked for a few more years but they're looking to get out from some of that big money I think in terms of getting his name out there and then finally Thomas Vanek who uh, has been an enigmatic performer for me and one that I would stay away from but he's had a pretty nice time scoring in Vancouver and kind of cleaned up the image that I had uh, cast for him at the beginning of the season really been a good soldier there more than I expected yeah I think Vanek is the most obvious choice here uh, veteran 
uh, UFA at the end of the year. I think he could be a really decent rental for them. Uh, the interesting thing will be, I, I think they have to have had some sort of conversation with the Sedins about what next year entails, uh, because they need to know whether they need to shed contracts. Are they going to have to pay the Sedins $7 million each as they are this year? Obviously, I don't think that'll be the case, but I think they need to have a rough idea of where they're going to be. Uh, Alex Edler, I, I do think is another uh, potential target. He's a, a, a rental plus in that they'll another team would get him for an additional year. Uh, he's kind of their biggest chip on the on the the team here. He has a no trade clause, so obviously he would have to buy in. And then don't sleep on potentially Anders Nilsson, uh, minor you know relatively minor hit could uh, add some depth. I don't think he's going to go to a team in need of a starting goalie, um, but perhaps somebody that's got. Uh, some question marks as far as what their backup situation looks like and wants to just bolster that ahead of the season. All right. Well, that does it for the trade speculation portion of the program. Now we want to also talk a little bit about FanDuel. AJ, I'm having more and more fun with this now, particularly, honest to goodness, I'm getting more into hockey uh, DFS play than (laughs) I ever have. Uh, uh, Reluctant because I hate betting on games involved involving the Leafs particularly, but Getting over that, uh, I've really come into a real strong learning curve on the on the DFS FanDuel hockey stuff. Really enjoying it, and uh, certainly it makes me interested on the basketball side as well, which those sports are ruling the day, and we're not too far from having baseball in the mix. So lots of options on the on the FanDuel menu. Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, I I take a little bit of a different approach. If if I don't like my lineup, I'm, I'm not going to have fun. And, and by like my lineup, I mean. Yeah. Am I blowing money, you know, stacking the pens every single night? Maybe. Am I having more fun cheering for my team because I've invested in the guys a little bit? Of course. Uh, If I had to fill out my lineup and even if you guaranteed me uh, a win, you know, a cash in like a 50 50 or something. And, but I had to use four flyers. I might pass on it because (laughs) I just don't want to cheer for Philadelphia. Um, So for me, I, I, as our listeners know, I let my fan, my fandom fly, uh, you know, that way nobody can accuse me of being biased against the penguins. Of course I am. I talk about every week how they're my favorite team. Uh, and so I think, you know, to, to the point on that, I like to have a lineup that I enjoy cheering for and enjoy watching. And for me, it's just to have a little bit of fun and buy in on my team. Now there's plenty of people that can do it competitively and we've got a ton of tools. If you really want to get into that on rotowire.com. Uh, but for me, I just enjoy it and uh, have a good time with it. And folks, over two and a half million players have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel. So you, you can bet they're having fun too. And AJ are in that list as well. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, sign up today at FanDuel.com slash RW. Of course, these contests are void where prohibited. AJ, let's get into our FanDuel DFS segment. Why don't you run through the first half of tonight's schedule? All right. So we'll start it off. Panthers at Toronto. Uh, you got the Maple Leafs at home. Freddie Anderson between the pipes. Toronto is going to be a minus 165 in that contest. Then the Jackets are at New Jersey. Uh, Devils get, or I'm sorry, Columbus getting the slight edge minus 120. Uh, no clear confirmation on whether it be Bravowski, but I think that's pretty safe bet. Kincaid will be going the other way. Uh, Canadians at Flyers at seven o'clock. Alex Lyon getting the start minus one forty-five for the Flyers, despite the youngster Carey Price will be facing the other way. That one's a little bit of a surprise to me, although 
Uh, Montreal has been pretty bad for much of the year. So I, I, I guess that's what they're looking at. Uh, the lightning at Washington, this for me, the big game of the night, you've got Tampa Bay minus one thirty. Holtby in between the pipes going up against Vasilevsky. That's quite a battle there. Although the Vegas odds are still calling for a six over under a little surprised to see that I might take the under in that contest. Personally, uh, predators at Detroit at seven 30, uh, you got Nashville minus one thirty-five. Rennie, the expected, uh, no confirmation on that yet. Howard obviously will be going the other way with Mrazic taking off. So, uh, for me, that's the game of the night, uh, lightning against capitals. Uh, Paul, what does the rest of the slate look like? All right. Uh, we got the Sharks visiting St. Louis at 8 o'clock. That'll be a competitive game between two of the Western powers. Kings and the, at the Jets, another game featuring two of the more physical clubs. I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out. You'll get Quick and Hallibuck, two of the top goalies that going head-to-head in that one, too. So strength against strength right down the line in that matchup. The Bruins continue a Canadian uh, West uh, Western trip. Uh, they've uh, split two games so far, and they're in Edmonton tonight against the Enigmatic Oilers there. So Rask is going to get the start against Talbot in that one. And finally, we've got Avalanche against uh, Vancouver, rounding out the schedule at 10 p.m. in a game between a couple of clubs that might be on the outside looking in when the season's all done here. So for me, it's clear that the Lightning and Capitals will be uh, the one of interest early on because it's the division leaders in the East colliding. And the Kings and the Jets, I love it when the physical teams get together. There's not too many of them left in the league, so this might be a marquee matchup in that regard, AJ. Why don't we turn now to your picks in terms of fan duel play? All right, so for me... Uh, I'm going to take uh, the the big guy here, uh, Mark Shifley, $8,000 for Winnipeg tonight. Uh, I like the matchup. It sounds like actually Darcy Kemper is going to get the start. So that uh, that bolsters it for me even more to use some of the Jets tonight. Uh, and then I'm going to flip that, go the high-low, go with Bo, Bo Horvat for $5,600. Uh, that price tag seems really low uh, for me. Uh, you look at what he's done lately. He's got four goals in his last uh, three goals, rather in his last four games, plus two assists. One of those goals coming on the power play as well. So for 5,600, he feels like a steal to me tonight uh, on the wings. Again, I'm going to do a little bit of a high low here. Nikita Kucherov for the lightning $9,000. I get it's up against Braden Holpe, but nobody's really been able to shut down Kucherov so far this season. I expect that to continue. Uh, I'm going to pair up uh, Yanni Gord here, who's been playing with him. Uh, Alex Killorn as well from Tampa Bay. Uh, Gord coming in at 5,700, Killhorn at 4,800. Uh, and then my last guy, I'm going back to Winnipeg. Uh, here with Kyle Connor, 5,700. Again, that's a pretty low price tag for a guy who's playing top line minutes, three goals in his last two games, uh, and he's putting plenty of pucks on net. Uh, so some steals there, some high low, obviously a, a lightning stack there, and that kind of developed. I didn't go into that planning to stack Tampa Bay, but I, I like everything those guys are offering shots on net, low cost, uh, and checking all the boxes. Uh, defensively, going to save some money here. Samuel Garrard, 4,300 going up against Vancouver. Uh, his numbers have been up and down. He'll have, you know, a good game. Uh, you know, he gets some shots in net, then has a bad one. He's probably capped out about 10 points here. So I'm hoping to, you know, the, get a little bit of production out of him and then use the savings on other guys like Kucherov and Shifley. And the same goes for Alex Biga, uh, for Vancouver. I'll be using him again, uh, kind of a high low guy. If he gets a lot of shots, get some blocks, uh, can tally some points, but again, 10, probably the ceiling here. 
uh, for him. So again, saving money to spend elsewhere, hoping for big nights from Kucherov and Shifley. And then in goal, Connor Hellybuck for me continues to come in at way too low of a price tag, 8,200. I mean, when you look at the goalies on FanDuel, he's not even on the first page of guys listed. You have to scroll down to find him. I think that helps his ownership to be perfectly blunt. I think guys tend to just pick who, who seems readily available there. Wins in his last three uh, goals against has been solid all season long. So that's how I shook out uh, my lineup. Paul, how did you stack your guys here? All right. I had the same idea as you with Tampa in that game. I like them against Washington tonight, so they'll be factoring in a little bit. But I'm more interested in a couple of guys that are facing a poor Montreal team. So I looked big uh, in at Philadelphia tonight, possibly a mini stack there as well. Uh, the way I started off, though, is Nico Heischer. He's uh, resumed a pretty hot streak uh, as probably one of the favorites in the uh, rookie of the year uh, competition that uh, go down to the wire, in my opinion. And uh, he sure is one of the reasons why he's coming back. And uh, the presumptive number one draft pick from last year, living up to those expectations, is $6,300 is the price tag there. Sean Couturier, one of the guys from the Philadelphia mix that I look uh, with favor upon tonight, spending $7,600 there to round up my center tandem. And uh, I'll also stay with the Flyers' forward, top forward line, fitting in Travis Konechny, who's on a, quite a tear right now offensively at $6,200. I think that's money well spent on those guys uh, against a pretty bad Montreal hockey club. Gee, it bothers me to say that. Actually, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't at all, folks. <laughs> Alex Steen at home against San Jose. He is a rugged winger who can fill the net on the special teams, and I'm counting on that being a factor against a, a San Jose team that's not uh, sure whether they're going to play Burns at forward or defense and if he plays it forward I really like Steen's chances uh, uh, on a more suspect San Jose defense uh, situation Yanni Gord is one guy I really liked I'll stay I'll say also Nemesnikov might be a good fit there at $5,700 just to give you a different name than than the one guy that we agreed upon here AJ and then finally rounding it out with uh, a couple of Maple Leafs on the rest of the roster Zach Hyman has really not gotten his due playing uh, kind of the hitman and the physical presence uh, to open up space for Matthews and Nylander on that exciting, explosive uh, top line in Toronto. But Hyman's had a surprising number of points this year as well. Don't sleep on him at $4,500. Could be a sneaky good value in tonight's matchup against an overmatched Florida team, I think. And on defense, I already teased the fact I'm going to have another deep player in the mix, Jake Gardner. Uh, really an offensive key in terms of anything the Leafs do on the power play seems to run through him as the de facto power play quarterback it's the defensive side of this game that I find suspect for him but hey it's so much more about scoring points and and uh, being offensive minded in FanDuel play and that's why I put him in there I'll pair him with Tyler Myers AJ who's been back to the form of the early part of his career all season long not getting his due because he plays so many games out west uh, in Winnipeg but $5,000 is a low price tag on this guy considering what he's been doing of late so a real good value play for me there and I rounded out with Tuka Rask in Boston you mentioned that we both mentioned that Edmonton's really not having the year that we thought they would Boston certainly exceeding expectations so I'll take the high win probability for the visitors tonight and spend $8,900 on Tuka Rask with glee what about the optimizer what does it have in store tonight AJ all right. So I took a look at the optimizer. I did the same thing. If you listen to the, to the podcast last week, uh, I ran the optimizer, saw who the uh, starting goalie was, and then excluded uh, any players from potentially going up against him. Uh, so Freddie Anderson was who the optimizer wanted to use in goal against the Panthers tonight. He's coming in at 8,500. From there, uh, you look at the centers. 
Uh, Optimizer going pretty cheap here. Bo Horvat for 5,600. Likes my call about that. And then Kyle Turris for 4,800. Detroit's definitely been suspect for much of the season. Uh, so he has a good chance to put up some numbers tonight. Going with a pair of uh, top line guys from Boston here. The optimizer goes with Marchant for 81 and Pasternak for 71. So obviously that's where it's spending its money. Continues to actually spend big at the wing position with uh, Brock Besser for 6,300. Uh, the matchup with Colorado is decent. He is one of the bright spots on Vancouver. You're diamond in the rough, if you will. Now, obviously the optimizer had to pick one player that's very uh, discounted here moving forward, and that's going to be Drew Stafford. Uh, and he's coming in at just 3,300, but he's also uh, looking like he's going to get a second line role tonight, a little bit of a promotion from where we've seen him lately. Uh, so should be a good pickup there. Optimizer is going to use Brent Burns tonight for 7,400. You talked about uh, all of his highlights right now, especially if they play him at forward. I think that becomes a better deal. You are going to want to check back. He did leave Sunday's game a little bit early with an injury. Uh, doesn't seem to be too serious, but before you line up lock, you're going to want to make sure you know whether or not he's playing. And then Chris Russell for Edmonton is the last uh, defenseman here, 3,900 uh, coming in for a steal not going to get power play minutes, but technically is in that first pairing. Uh, it's, it's not the pick I love here from the optimizer, but when you're down at 3,900, uh, you got to find somebody to go with. So that's how the lineup shook out. Obviously Paul be uh, a fan of seeing uh, Freddie Anderson listed there probably <laughs> should mean good things uh, for the Maple Leafs tonight. I hope so. I'm going to the game. So if you're there, look for me, folks, I'll be happy to meet up with you guys and talk hockey. If you stop me in the hallways, but don't bug me while the game's on. <laughs> uh, we'll talk now about the stud of the week. And I got a lot to say about this guy, just as I will about the Rand in a minute. And I think I'm going to raffle uh, AJ's feathers a little bit with that one, but we'll start with the stud of the week. And I picked uh, Mark Shifley, AJ, the big center for the Jets return to score eight points in five games since returning from a one month injury absence. They rely on him to drive a lot of the offense. It didn't really dry up while he was off, but certainly he's hit the ice running since he come back. And I give him props for that. He reminded, he reminds me that uh, early on in the preseason, he was intent on challenging Crosby and McDavid as the league's top pivot. And that quick and early return and productive return certainly amplifies that he's not giving up on that message. Uh, he's a big, strong center who can score with anybody, reminding me a bit of Mario Lemieux, if I can use a Pittsburgh reference, AJ. This guy has all the skills and all the tools to mimic your one of your favorite players in the your club's history he's almost not quite that good yet but he's on a pretty good trajectory right now and full value for being the stud of the week he uh, is hurt i think though from the fact that winnipeg does not get the publicity that other teams in bigger markets do but i'll certainly be happy to highlight him based on what he's done since he came back absolutely somehow uh the jets are are still an underrated team uh which is pretty interesting when you look at the standings and find that they're uh you know just uh you know right in second place tied with first in the central division so uh with how good they are i do think you're right they don't get a ton of credit uh but mark shifley has been fantastic in his return from injury uh and him and blake wheeler just pair up so well uh that they have just such a dynamic one-two punch there uh, on that top line that that it really rivals any team in the league uh, and don't be surprised if Shifley at some point here down the road uh, when he can be healthy for a full season doesn't challenge for an Art Ross trophy I think he's got all the talent to do it uh, and think you know it really just comes down to his health uh, to determine what's going on all right we come to the rant of the week and I've been really quiet AJ 
I've noticed your Pittsburgh outfit and all the rest. <laughs> I took the barbs, but I'm still. We- I wear a couple of losses for my favorite club a little longer than others, and that one on Saturday really bothers me. Okay, and I'm going to highlight it by the fact that my rant of the week features Oli Matic and, and his hit on Zach Hyman. If anybody watched this game in the third period, you certainly, certainly probably have seen the highlights anyway. Zahyman was forced to hit the boards head first after Mata pushed him from behind and stuck his stick under his feet, propelling him into the boards in an unprotected manner, a dangerous manner, and one that's been called a penalty 100% of the time, except for this one. I thought the idea of no-touch icing was to prevent such injuries, uh, partner, but uh, Mata got away with this without even a penalty, a violent head-first collision into the boards ensuing, and apart for, from the potential for injury, no penalty was called. I was absolutely shocked. When was the last time you've seen that as such an outcome? I can't even think of it. A penalty should have been automatic, critical to the outcome of this game as the a hit occurred when the score was tied at three. Luckily for Manta, I'll say this, Hyman was able to return to play later. Otherwise, he might be facing a suspension. But no penalty call, that's nonsense, and everybody knows it. Well, I will point out here, Paul, a little bit of a misconception here. Let, now, let's let's be totally clear. I, I've got the video up here. I'll send it to you. First off, Hyman does not go head first into the boards. His legs definitely hit the boards first and slowed him down. Now, having said that, I certainly agree with your point that it probably should have been called. I find the trip to be incidental, not on purpose, but it is a violent collision into the boards which we have seen called a penalty on a regular basis. An argument might be made by some of my more uh, uh, riled up Penguins uh, cohorts that uh, that Hyman tripped on the way in, causing him to go into the boards. But I do agree that a penalty probably should have been called in this situation. But let's not get carried away and call it a head-first collision. I will send you the video just in case any of our listeners didn't see it. Go and watch. He goes into the boards feet first. It is violent. Uh, Mata does push him. I do think he should have been hit with a penalty here, not suspension worthy by any stretch of the imagination, in my opinion. Um, but I agree a call on the ice probably should have occurred. If only for the fact that, you know, it was such a violent collision. It looks bad by the league. Yes. Some people might be able to make an argument that it wasn't in, uh, it was incidental and therefore no penalty should be called. But I think a penalty would have been fair and, uh, you know, an, uh, suspension a little too far, but if you're going to, if you're going to rant that there was no penalty, I will allow it. And I will agree with that. You know what? Uh, can you imagine if our teams met in the playoffs, this one of us would be <laughs> insufferable. The other guy would be, would be out of his mind with joy. I'll, I'll say that. So I'm hoping that it happens. So at some point, just to see if I can bring out the worst in you. <laughs> I think we, I think we'd have to record a separate podcast, Paul. We'd have to have like podcast with Statsman and AJ and then the Leafs penguins pod just a separate chunk uh for our listeners who just want to listen to us go back and forth uh for you know 20 30 minutes on every game well aj we certainly are going to look forward to the rest of the week the way it plays out in advance of the trade deadline and look forward to next week's show when i can confirm jimmy devilano has agreed to join us on the podcast and i can't wait to hear what the detroit red wing senior vp thinks of what goes down uh, between now and then we'll certainly get his views and i'm telling you this man is candid he was great to be uh, on with us at the preseason but now with the serious shooting going on i'm going to be curious and i know you will be aj to get his, his thoughts on what happens around the deadline so we're looking forward to that absolutely it'll be a great great time to have him on uh, another great person to to provide some insight and in, in hockey knowledge on on 
you know, things going on around the league that maybe you and I uh, don't get to see on a day-to-day basis. And we certainly got that slant from our our friend uh, Daniel Negrano. We certainly wish him well with his upcoming surgery and thank him again profusely for fitting us in to a busy time in his life, but he was only too gracious to uh, agree to when I approached him this week. So again, thank you very much, Daniel. Follow him at Real Kid Poker, folks. A great follow. That wraps up this week's podcast with Statsman and AJ. Remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. And you can follow AJ at AJScholz24. That's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z-2-4. We hope you've enjoyed the show and circle back to get more roster updates and injury news. But we're going to really focus on the trade deadline, folks. So tune in on February 27th for the next episode of Podcast. So you get all the latest news and our views on the trades that went down at the deadline. So long, everybody. 